everyone, and welcome to the Democracy Podcast. I'm Lana. I'm Ronick, and today we'll be talking with Casey Reedman, someone I went to Drexel with, and we decided to have her on the podcast because uh, I'm very aware that she uh, supports guns and has a lot of experience with guns, and so we thought it would be interesting to get her perspective, especially with what's going on in the news today. I think I went in thinking we were going to have a conversation about the Second Amendment, and we did address those things. But we ended up having a little bit of a deeper conversation about the how and why um, we need gun legislation in the first place. And I think it was super eye-opening. Yeah, I agree. Focusing in our conversation on just what are the gun laws for conceal and carry is not addressing the reason why gun laws are created in the first place, which is Well, I think people assume legislation is the first step of every social issue. Laws can be created to curb social opinion. But without enough social support, they won't be passed. So it's kind of cyclical in in that way. Mm -hmm. I think the most interesting thing we talked about was, like, Casey has firsthand, you know, talked with people who have experienced gang violence and engaged in gang violence. And they have really, really valuable insight into the hows and whys of of gang violence in general. And without that firsthand experience, how is how are we going to legislate? How are we going to create legislation to properly regulate these things? You can't because you don't have the actual knowledge and how. Something that we wanted to do was, you know, take this discussion to different uh, paths because we realized that it's not just a black and white conversation. You know, there's many shades of gray that we need to address. Casey. Hello, how are you guys? Pretty good, how are you? I'm excited, yeah. I like discussing. I like talking about stuff. And... It's a good time. But hi, I'm so, I, I have not actually met you nor talked to you except outside of our, our text chat, which <clears throat> just gives you a little glimpse of who I am. And I who love you it. Are. <laughs> I go way but, back with Casey. Yeah, yeah so, so why don't you... Um, since I don't know you, why don't you give like a little introduction? Who are you? Um, how do you know Ronak? And what's your zodiac sign? Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, so my name's Casey. I met Ronak when we, um, went to undergrad at Drexel together. We had a mutual friend. Since then, he spilled about four cups of coffee on my floor. Um, but they were accidents. Okay. It was. It was an accident. But a little bit about me. Um, went to Drexel for undergrad. I was in EMS for about three years. Um, and then I worked at Jefferson's ER. So I have a little bit of experience in medicine. What's EMS? And, oh, emergency medical services. Got it. So I was an EMT. Um, and I worked at Jefferson's ER for a bit. And now I'm in PA school living the dream. Where are you, where are you from originally? So I'm originally from Doylestown. I lived in Pennsylvania up until I was like 13. Um, my parents went through a major midlife crisis and decided to pick us all up and move down south. So oh I spent about four years in Tennessee, um, got a little taste of southern, southern living down mm-hmm. there, and then I came back up to Philadelphia for college. I kind of stayed around this area so far. Awesome. That's awesome. I did not know that. Yeah, see, you learn something new every yeah, day. Yeah, every day, the more you know. Stuff. So, 
Do you remember the first time you had a conscious thought about guns? The first time I had a conscious thought about guns. Let me think. You know what? I was probably around eight years old. And my first conscious thought that I can remember, you know, on the spot is me being mad that my mom wouldn't allow me to have water guns. Because I wanted to play with the neighborhood kids, and she's so anti-gun. So I had this little bee backpack, and I would pump and spray the water. It was horrible. I just wanted a water gun. So that was probably the thing about guns. But, I mean, like, actual guns, I really didn't I'm, – I'm not, like, too into guns. But, you know, I really didn't yeah. shoot my first gun until I was maybe 19 years old. So I've never I shot a gun, so. Yeah, Me I either. definitely didn't grow up with – you know, a family that raised about guns, everything that I know about guns, I really kind of learned by myself and on YouTube and going to the range with my friends and asking my friends, you know, how, what's the proper way. But yeah. So you have like a sense of camaraderie. It's like a sport type thing. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I like, like a hobby? I mean, this actually, yeah, I would say it's a hobby. This, I think it's a hobby, but it's, also like an important hobby i'm a big enthusiast especially for you know my female friends who are a younger age in the college age i'm a big enthusiast for them to know how to protect themselves in an emergency mm-hmm. so i actually took my two friends to the gun range last weekend for the first time and that was the first time they shot a handgun and it's like a good learning experience in an appropriate controlled environment mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah that's definitely the part that's been like, that would be the reason if I ever got a gun, that would be why. Mm-hmm. Just to, yeah. like, have a safe under the bed just in case somebody came into my house. But yeah. at the end of the day, when somebody, like, comes into my house and crawls in my... It's so, like... Is that really what's going to happen? Probably not. They're probably going to try to hack my bank account. But whatever. Um, <laughs> if somebody comes into my house, I can just picture myself, like, fidgeting to get the safe safe open and get the gun. And I'm just like... <laughs> and then I can well... just try to the gun that's why i'm a big advocate for training lessons and muscle memory because you have to practice so you thoroughly know what to do because in an emergency situation you're stripped down to your basic skills you know you're not thinking about anything extra you're just completely stripped yeah speaking of not thinking about anything extra let's 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 circle back oh god (laughs) no 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 Um, so like you said you, you mentioned like muscle memory right right and let's let's just get right into the nitty gritty here. Here we go. <laughs> you you reach for your taser. And yeah. You grab your gun. <laughs> yeah. So, fair point. So in obviously, right? It's important, especially. I mean, the police academy. We know the one of the major things that they train on is using a gun. So mm-hmm. it seems. I mean, I know this like is somewhat an anomaly of a case. Like this doesn't type. This reaching for your taser and accidentally shooting your gun doesn't seem to happen that often. No, but it's a conversation to have because it just happened, yeah. you know. And it's so it's like, okay, this is a trained person. She was, like, on the board of something. Like, she's clearly a seasoned police officer. And mm-hmm. you mentioned, you know, muscle memory is important and knowing, like, automatically, you know, what to do so that way you can act quickly. So in your opinion, like, what do you make of that in knowing, like, how important it is to have like that that knowledge of what it feels like to shoot a gun and in that type of situation. Well, yeah, can you um, also explain muscle memory and how does that how do you 
get that relation. Yeah, so to go back, let's start with Ronak. So muscle memory, um, basically, if you do something a repeated amount of time, then you your brain just, you know, the pathways are engraved into your brain, so it's more likely right. and more easy for you to, you know, draw a gun. And like I said, nine times out of ten, when you're forced to use, like, a gun, it's, you know, in an emergency situation, you're going to be, you know, very nervous and sporadic mm-hmm. or whatever, so you really are stripped yeah, down to, you know... Um, your muscle memory, like I said. So like putting the gun in the holster, drawing your gun, even like yeah. loading the chamber, drawing back, like it's all muscle memory. And like the first time I went to load a gun, like, or load bullets in a magazine, I did it completely wrong. So you have to know how, you know, to function yeah. the machine that you're using. But mm-hmm. going back to Lana's um, point about the officer who deployed her taser um, in or who deployed her gun instead of firing a taser. Um, I'm not making an exception for that. There's no exception for that. And that's completely on them. But I've also mm-hmm. never been in a situation where I had to draw a firearm like that, but that's their job as a, you know, as a law officer. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is just my opinion coming from somebody who I've had a lot of interaction with cops. I have friends that are cops, but I've never been a cop. So I think that, there's definitely room for improvement in, you know, not only their basic training academy, but keeping up the standards of their training throughout. So just because, you know, just because that officer was a seasoned 30-year officer doesn't mean she can't make a, you know, a 0.2-second mistake. And it's, unfortunately, it's a, it's a mistake that ends in somebody's life being ended, you know? Yeah. So. I like what you said there because, like, I think it's really important. I don't know what the um, protocol is. Um, probably something that Val would know, but um, in terms of like once you Maybe, graduate yeah. the academy, do you ever have to go through like a refresher course? Oh know? yeah, I mean I'm sure there is. Um, and it's not like, enough. Yeah. Right. Well, don't right. you practice and, uh, in like your free time kind of thing? Well, yeah. yeah I mean, a, a lot of the cops I know, yeah, they do um, like you know range practice or going out in farms and shooting, but that's it's very very different from actually a simulated situation right Right. yeah that's what i was thinking because like in in you know cop shows and stuff you see them in in their you know simulation room and they're like yeah like law and order for example yeah exactly (laughs) and it's like how many i mean i don't know how many i can tell you right now that like especially underfunded understaffed police areas aren't gonna have those tools available to them but also it's like, so you're basically going off of your experiences and that gives you the knowledge on how to use guns in specific situations and how the muscle mm-hmm. memory works and coordination works. So it's like the farther away you get from that initial training and the more you're relying on your um, experience, then the training and the muscle memory becomes more subjective, I feel like. I definitely think that that, even like with my own I noticed it when I was in the range last time. I've shot a gun before, and I'm comfortable shooting a gun. But even the guy in the range who was um, who worked there, he gave me pointers. You know, tighten up my grip, keep my hand up here. So there's always room for improvement, um, especially when it's your job and you know you're in charge of people's lives. Yeah, I think that's like one of the things. So the debate, right? Is is there even a debate? I don't know. Why did the police officer mistakenly grab the wrong weapon, right? Because in other cases of police violence, we've seen it seems like there could be um, misjudgment, 
Mm-hmm. But this seems like an automatically had mistake. Like she wasn't really conscious of the fact that she drew her gun rather than her taser. Um, but she knew she made the mistake after the fact because obviously in those stressful situations, like you said, that's that's part of the training. You have to be able to automatically coordinate your body while doing something else in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so putting this this idea of racism and bias aside because that can come in even before they pulled the guy over right so in your novice opinion of like from what you've experienced with guns like what do you think would be an effective training like why do you think that happened what do you think the mistake is oh so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) to me there's a lot of like unconscious bias that not even just with the police force, just America in our world, you know, there's a lot of unconscious bias that we aren't aware of, but there's also a lot of conscious bias that we're fully aware of. So in that officer, it may have been an unconscious bias for her to immediately draw a weapon because I don't know, was the kid brown, brown skin? He had brown skin. He wasn't. Yeah. He was of color. Exactly. So, you know, that may have been unconscious an unconscious bias or a conscious bias that she made that, you know, this quick reaction Mm -hmm. decision to pull a weapon. Um, But that's, you know, only something that she would be able to tell us. Um, But then I think it goes back to what you said, Lana, going back to your pause right there. I think something that only she would be able to tell us. I don't think she would even be able to tell us. Right. Mm. Because that's the whole point. Right. Is that like, it is mostly unconscious. So she could be, the most non-racist human being in the entire world and still but it was just like a second nature kind of response yeah right based on this i know people don't really like the word systemic but the in like it's just so ingrained in the protocol in the institutions in america it's almost it's almost like, like a native yeah. behavior even going back from you know going back to when we were in elementary school did you ever hear about any like black history they paint they painted black americans right. like these poor people who you know like it's, it's we civilize from... them and colonize them it's right very and like so it's so if you aren't yeah if you aren't given if you aren't paying attention to that stuff so it's it's really like i don't want to be like it's not her fault but i personally believe that like people can't really be racist institutions are racist and then people can be Influenced by people learn from them because they're a product of their own environment. So yeah, just right. sorry to interrupt, but like to your point, like I think it's important to recognize, you know, like she could be the nicest person and have the nicest intentions, and then this happened. And I think focusing so much on her uh, guilt rather mm-hmm. than the police uh, protocol and institution at large is one of the issues. Yeah, but could, yeah. you were saying um, um, automatically pulling her weapon. Yeah, so back to what you were saying, it's basically going back to the basics. Um, She could have just, like, I don't know, just moved her hand two inches backwards and grabbed a gun instead of the taser, which was sitting right in front of her. Yeah, where is it? I don't don't know if um, officers have, like, different belts. I've never, you know. I think it was the guy. So the Brooklyn Center Police Manual states that officers must position tasers in a reaction side holster on the side opposite to the gun. So she literally reached for the wrong side of her belt. So it's interesting because it might be like, so so going off this like automatic response, unconscious, just does it, right? She may normally, maybe when they feel threatened for their life, they reach for their gun. But she knew, she was trying to like 
like from a psychology perspective, she might have been trying to merge all these ideas. She feels threatened. Mm-hmm. So, but she might have known I should pull the taser because this isn't, um, you know, a threatening, life-threatening situation. But be, based on her physiology and how she was reacting to the stress of the moment, she automatically pulled her gun because because we know that there's like a strong relationship between emotional responses and action. It's and like how fight that or automatically flight makes situation. You feel. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, again, yes, it is her automatic response to pull the gun rather than the taser, but who who ingrained that response in her? Like, I think personal responsibility minimizes the importance of the institutionalized effect. Yeah, I, I like that a lot because a lot of times we see, you know, even like all across the board, we look even when, you know, we'll get into mass shootings later, I'm sure, even looking at mass shootings, we see them so like segmentalized and, oh, this is only one person, but there is a whole group that, you know, um, so I definitely think taking ownership and, you know, the whole entity as a whole and, Mm -hmm. you know, working on, like you were talking about the, not only the physical training, but you also have to have the mental training for it. You know, Mm -hmm. how to properly deploy your weapon in those types of situations, which obviously they're trained for, but, you know, there's room for improvement. Guns by themselves don't kill people. People kill people with guns. It's a combination. Guns are just a resource. However, I think the bigger picture at large is mental health, because I think that right. really affects your decisions with guns. Yeah. And your mentality so before and your we get into that, that's a <clears throat> contested situation, right? But just to wrap up that kind of segment on police bias. Wouldn't it be interesting if we had, like, every police officer... Well, this is imagining the police system stays as it is, blah, blah, blah. Imagining reworking training protocol. So it's, like, once a week you go to, like, an hour training session as part of your active duty where you go in and you are put in a simulation. I mean, there's so many... Again, this would take funding, so it's kind of like back and forth defunding fund. Ah. Um... But imagine you you go into like a VR situation and you're tested, right, for ethics or for excessive force and you get put in this simulation, especially even just using like the top 10 made news stories of police situations and you're put in that situation say, what would you do, right? And you go in and you're the police officer who um, in this situation has to deploy the taser. And seeing, you know, how many people actually deploy the taser correctly, how many people like and saying after you come out of that VR and make that mistake, you do a debrief and you're like, okay, I grabbed my taser or whatever. I went to go grab my taser, I grabbed my gun and then say, okay, well, why did you do that? And then they'll be like, I don't know, I panicked. Right. And then we can say, okay, there's clearly something we have to work on here. I Mm -hmm. think there's a lack of of again it's it's i think it's really a training thing i feel like it's not something a lot of people are talking about in terms of like police reform well i also think you know to become a police officer is academy what six months i believe i think so. and a lot of a lot of officers they also do like undergraduate courses to have either you know a bachelor's or associates but mm-hmm. you know they they throw these people out on the lines and at the end of the day cops are people yeah and and so let's let's move to mental health and guns right this is a debate it's interesting that it's a debate because these issues don't not go together 
they're right. come very intertwined, right? So um, one argument, I'll tell you where, like, kind of I think on this stuff. So originally, <clears throat> I don't know originally, but when mass shootings, I, it was probably last year or the year before, when people started really talking about it more, which should have happened, I don't know, after Sandy Hook, but whatever. Um, the idea is we need gun control because guns kill people. Okay, sure. And then people say, yeah, because guns kill people a lot faster than if this person had a knife, right? And it's like, okay, yeah, that would have well, probably might it. not. Yeah, it might not have as much um, of an impact. But there's then the argument that, well, there is a person holding the gun. You can't just set up a gun and then have a mass shooting. Somebody has to be the person shooting it. Mm-hmm. Um and that brings up the idea of mental health. And for some reason, there's a debate between regulating mental health, not regulating, but, you know, creating legislation and emphasis on mental health and creating em- emphasis and legislation on, on guns. And people who are like, please don't take my guns, I'm begging you, are like, it's mental health, we don't need to regulate guns. And then people who are like, it's guns, are like, who cares about the mental health? And I think um, to, I mean, we both, all of us kind of just said this, right? It's, it's, a, it's a combination of the two. And I can tell you right now that there is, I don't know if necessarily the government is like the source to solve all of our problems. I, I don't really think that. But in terms of collective action as a society, we definitely aren't placing enough emphasis on mental health. It's kind of like this, also, sorry if I'm talking too much. I no, you're fine. Also, we're, we're spewing. Um, in terms of mental health, as, a, as somebody in psychology, you learn a lot about the complexities of, you know, human behavior. But none of that makes it to the mainstream. Especially, I think it can be really toxic when you see, like, you know, performative activism on Instagram. It's like, mental health. Mm-hmm. And it's like... It's like it's they're like, really romanticizing something that's It's really like there is so... People. It's not just mental health. Like, that just sounds so basic. Like, there's so many complexities and underlying causes, and it normally, like, I don't know. It, 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 there's a lot to it, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, where do you, I mean, just in your opinion, because, like, I know for me, I think that there should be laws regulating, I don't know, uh, super, like, I think that if you want to have a handgun in your closet for intruders go right ahead enjoy that i think that's fine as long as like you're trained or whatever and i think there should be requirements cool in terms of like ar-15s i'm like oh why do you need that let's be real with each other but i also know there is an increase there's a pattern right who is doing in mass shootings let's let's say for now um the majority of people engaging in mass shootings are white men who have a history of mental illness or being a social outcast or being bullied or having childhood trauma. And that's why red flag laws were made. And then there's this whole twist about red flag laws being like, they can just take your guns and some your neighbor could tell, tell the, the government that you are a threat and then they can just take your guns. It's like Red flag laws to me seem like a good idea as a combination of mental health and gun laws. So, so talk about your perspective on everything I dispute at you. It doesn't have to be that deep. I just kind of went off. So, 
with mental health and gun laws, I definitely think that we uh, definitely need to do better because I think I was reading, I forget, it was from the, the, yeah, do better. (laughs) It was from like the Bureau of something. It was a credible source. Yeah, take my word for it. (laughs) But um, (laughs) about like 64% of legally purchased guns um, resulted in suicide. So I definitely think that there's more places Mm -hmm. where we can improve upon that. And just speaking from my own personal experience, when I went down to the courthouse to get my license to carry concealed, um, all you have to do is check off a box that says you're not crazy. What does concealed mean? So concealed carry just means you can't, I'm not holding the gun out in public. You're not just like. Right. Yeah. That's open carry. Um, Yeah. Concealed carry is it's on your person. It's in a gun holster, you know, so. Okay. So you need, yeah, in Pennsylvania, you need a license for that. But, you know, I think the clause was you must be not a, not a regular drunkard or use marijuana, drugs, whatever. And you have to be uh sane of mind. You have to be 21 Um, years old with ID, two references, non-family member and $20. That's really cheap. Um, mm -hmm. My new ID is way more expensive. A quick background check, good character and reputation. I don't know. How do you prove that? Um, that's not the thing. It's just, it's just a checkbox. Yeah, it's a checkbox. You just check it's it It's self-report. Off. And in psychology, we don't take self-report seriously. So, like, exactly. why is the government doing it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's self-report. And I there there's measures that we can do. A simple five-panel drug test and a check to see if they had alcohol in their system for the last 48 hours would handle a lot of that, you know? And I was Yeah, I was just reading a book uh, last night called Big Data and Psychiatry about how... Mm-hmm big data, right, collects all this stuff on us. I mean, they know Mm -hmm. everything about our behavior and how if we had that information available to uh, specific professionals and, like, background check information, right, and saying, like, oh, this person stayed home for the past two years. Interesting. Maybe we shouldn't give them a gun. That sounds concerning, right? Right. Something, like, that has, like, an objective measure. I think that's, Mm -hmm. like, something... uh, to, to look at in the future because self-report we know is not reliable. Yeah, it's, we need an objective measure. So, so, you know, the drug tests have been brought in and a lot of people say that goes against my rights. And no, if you're doing drugs, then maybe you shouldn't be in charge <laughs> of, of, you know, elite or legal weapons. But you were, so um, yeah, like in terms of causality, also, right? Like the, why do mass shootings happen? Mental health um, and guns are yeah, def- the two things. So what, I, like, mass intricacies? Yeah. Why do they happen? I, I mean, well, like, in terms of mental, so it's like mental health and guns, right? So in your opinion, um, what do you think about the measures that have been taken to try to, you know, not have mass shootings happen? Do you think they're effective? Do you think that they, they could be better? And in what, like, ways do you think? So... The problem with mass shootings and the problem with gun regulation, this is the main thing. You're trying to put regulations on law-abiding citizens, but the people who go out and do these things are criminals. So we're, we're sure. half and half in between this, like murky water. Um, so, so what for do you example, mean criminals? They either, they're criminals because they did that or they were criminals before they did that? Criminals because they did that. Most of them okay. were not you know fugitives before right. because they passed the background that's the problem, check. right it's like this right. person seems totally normal so if you're gonna you're gonna pass all these tests that you're putting in place and then they're still gonna have a mass shooting right so let's take colorado for example colorado had the columbine shooting 
And after that, they decide to regulate gun sales at gun shows. So, you know, we all know Mm -hmm. the guns that are on the streets are, you know, legally purchased from gun shows. It only accounts for like 2%. So that didn't do too much. But um, from the Aurora movie theater shooting in Colorado, they banned um, high capacity magazines. So we're still seeing mass shootings because Mm -hmm. mass shootings are done by people who don't follow the laws. (laughs) So, you know, and while these laws are great because, you know, they don't allow, you know, large capacity magazines for criminals, you know, if you're a criminal, you'll, you'll find a way to get get a large capacity magazine regardless. Um, Yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. I just pulled up a statistic. So number of mass shootings in the u.s number of mass shootings in the u.s between 1982 and march 2021 by legality of the shooter's weapon so whether or not the weapon was legally obtained um 21 cases so of how many incidents uh 121 so of 121 21 we have no idea if the legality of the shooter's weapon so i think that's what biden recently uh talked about uh being able to like buy a diy kit (laughs) basically and that's not regulated however um this is since 1982 so it's possible we also didn't have the resources to tell if it was legally obtained at that time right um and then 16 16 out of 121 incidents it was legally illegally obtained and 82 so the majority of the time it was legally obtained. Right. So legality doesn't seem to be the main cause. Right. Going back to mental health, like we were talking about. But even, mm-hmm. you know, on going back to mass shootings, even us, even the states that honed down on their gun laws, California, they did an assault weapon ban, which I'll say, never say assault weapon to me because I'll jump down your throat. There's no such thing as an assault weapon. An AR-15 is not an assault weapon. Um, an assault weapon Aren't be... all weapons assault weapons? If they can be used for assault, they then are an assault weapon? Yeah, so weapon? If, if, I, if I go and shoot someone, that gun would be an assault weapon. But if I hit somebody over the head with a shovel, that would be an assault <laughs> shovel too. So an assault weapon is not a category of gun that's like... Yeah, oh, wait. Not- like a separate type of gun. Right. Assault weapon. I'm so the definition assault of assault weapon is, it says the term assault weapon is used in the United States to define some types of firearms. It's there a murky, is no. Right. So, so it's like it, you'd have to say what's the definition of assault and what's the definition of weapon. And right. So the thing like interests people... People get like. Hold on, wait. Merriam Webster even defines assault weapon as any of various automatic or semi automatic (laughs) firearms. Wouldn't it be an assault gun? So, because weapon, a lot of things can be used. I guess, I guess it depends, right? So, so in terms of like weapon, you said something about shovel. Like (laughs) a shovel's first purpose is not a weapon. A shovel's, a shovel was invented to shovel stuff. And so it's like. It can be used as a weapon, but it wasn't invented to be intended a weapon. Whereas a gun is invented that. to be a weapon. I think that might be. What about case. a knife, though? <laughs> well, that's but, I mean, a cut. knife too. It's so like it depends. In a court case, right? The whatever the person uses to do the assault would be considered the weapon. Right. So that's why. So like, these scissors it, could be an assault weapon. The, 
Yes, Correct. they could be, but, but by definition, to... it's not an assault weapon. But it's not right. an assault weapon until you use it for assault. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to so say. So I guess um, the government is like, AR-15s have been used enough. AR-15s, they say, are used enough to be considered an assault weapon in its own right based on because so what else would you use an ar-15 for other than shooting people do you want to tell us about that <laughs> um so i like, heard the news isn't talking about why ar-15s are used other than to shoot millions of people so, so i personally don't own an ar-15 i have some buddies that do um home protection personal protection um you know shooting stuff like that so so um, is there something that an ar like these buddies you speak of do they have like is there a reason do they want to have an ar-15 just because like it's like a ego thing and they just want to have the best gun um so i definitely think that it's definitely an ego thing like men are um <laughs> see it goes creatures. back see it's never the original cause <laughs> so it's like the men, want... <laughs> you know we associate guns a lot of times with men so it's you know a very male driven um mm-hmm. industry but men so maybe men are just the problem. Maybe, Ronak. <laughs> Let's regulate but men. men. You know, men in themselves are very simple creatures. They like... They are simple creatures. Yeah, yeah. they like short-term gratification. So a big gun that goes boom is short-term gratification, and it, you know, it gets the rocks off. So... And they can tell all their buddies, especially if you're surrounded by people right. who also use guns, that you have the best gun, right? It's just right. like getting... If you have a hobby... And, like, if you are a gamer, right, and you get the newest Xbox or whatever, you can tell all your buddies you got the exactly. newest Xbox. And, like, if if using guns is your hobby, then you can tell all your gun buddies that so you that have So that goes AR-15. back to society, I feel like. That goes back to society's view of what makes you better than the next person. Right. And yeah, like that whole... And, and yeah. having to prove yourself. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. But, like, the difference between, say, like, a handgun, a pistol that you shoot like this, and an AR-15. An AR-15 is also a semi-automatic weapon, which means you have to pull the trigger to make the gun go boom. It's not an automatic weapon, which is you hold the trigger and it goes boom, 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 boom. Oh, yeah. that's what... Okay, wait, wait, wait. We're learning. Yeah. So, an automatic... So, I did not know that. So, an mm-hmm. automatic... So, okay, wait. So, there's... So, an automatic gun is like a military-grade gun. For civilians to get that permit for an automatic gun, it's about like $10,000, $15,000. You have to have all these sources. Yeah, it's crazy. So, that makes but... sense that it's an ego thing, because it also says, hey, look, <laughs> I can afford an AR-15. Haha. Well, no, no, no. An AR-15 well, maybe isn't kind of an automatic gun. It. It's semi-automatic. Oh, it's semi-automatic. Yes. That's, that's so, that's an interim? That's an in-between? What so what? so there's what's the spectrum of automaticity? So automatic and semi semi automatic, and then you have like there's, your pump and goes. But so um okay, so a handgun is semi automatic, like a pistol. Yeah, so a pistol, a handgun, you have to pull the trigger and then a bullet shoots. That's semi automatic. So an AR-15 would be semi automatic. A pistol. It would most be. Guns, I, I, why isn't it called manual? It just doesn't sound cool. I don't know. <laughs> So it's semi-automatic and automatic. Those are the only two. Yeah, and then you have, like, different types of, like, shotguns, too. But, you know, we won't go into that. So automatic weapons relatively aren't, you know, typically a thing. However, there's certain adjustments that you can do to a semi-automatic weapon to turn it into almost an automatic weapon called, like, a bump stock, which is something that you put on the back of the gun, 
and it uses the recoil of the gun to continuously shoot really quickly. The Trump administration banned those in, um, I think the, he started the motion in like 2018 and it passed in like March of 2020. He banned um, like making legal weapons into machine-like type guns. Yeah, so. Biden Which, um, just proposed banning like the stands oh, for okay. semi-auto. And I was, I was listening to a YouTube video. My, my YouTube thinks I'm like a raging conservative now. I get it. I, I know. It. I've been looking up all these guns. I literally and... get um, YouTube video ads about joining ministries and Catholic things. I get ads um, for Tucker Carlson now. I get like recommended to listen. Yeah. But I watched this video. Um, it's a podcast by two like boomer guys in the South called God and Guns. And oh, they God. talk all about and he, they were talking about the Biden rules. I literally Googled Biden trying to take our guns, right? <laughs> I'm, like, thinking, like, somebody who loves their guns and Biden's a threat. So, right. And they were talking about, they were like, Biden is going to ban stands? What is that going to do for anybody? That, and people don't even use those. It's so stupid. And I was like, where are they, like, it just <laughs> seems like regulation is obviously good. It does something. But I feel like there's just, like, for some reason, I feel like they're somewhat missing the point. So, yeah, you're right. Exactly. Regulation is good. And it it definitely benefits a lot of people because it it keeps the guns that are in circulation down. It keeps, you know, weapons that are legal, preventing them to be made into illegal weapons. Um, But it also doesn't stop the illegal weapons that are flooding on the streets and like a lot of I think it was about 64 percent of the gun murders in the U.S. um, were committed with illegal weapons so we have a we have a bigger fish to fry it seems I think the ones that make the news so mass shootings also are defined like by like five or more I think or four more people and I think a lot of the time, I don't know, I feel like the ones that make the news are white people because white people are like, oh, a white person did something bad. And then they put it on the news. Whereas like, so that gets a lot more attention. So then you think mass shootings are caused mostly by white people. Yeah. So I think that that kind of ties into um, that the weapons also being Um, used to commit these crimes were legal so say these kids didn't Mm -hmm. have any criminal records where in a lot of our black and brown communities these kids you know they're forced to do some you know criminal activities so nine times out of ten they have records and they can't Mm -hmm. purchase those guns if they wanted to commit something so they go ask a cousin they ask a friend you know and even if you were to regulate those right like if if they are obtained like the guy so so the footage that came out recently of oh, I forget the 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 body cam footage of the police officer who just shot the 13 year old kid there was a fence he was in an alleyway and mm-hmm. the guy the kid had a gun and um I guess he was running away with it again if you're running away why didn't mm-hmm. you shoot him but okay and so the body cam footage showed the guy turning to him and he had dropped the gun he had thrown the gun and gone like this and the guy shot him like like this the pistol went off and he was like this it was heart-wrenching but they said after that it was just like a horrible combination of events because the 13-year-old kid had like been with an adult who gave him the gun like an hour prior. 
And right. it's like, then the kid had the gun that wasn't his gun. Like, and so I, I picture that type of thing happening. And if that kid were to use the gun or the guns get passed around, like it's not obtained illegally. Like, I guess it right. would be, but we care. And then that goes to say, like, we care more about regulating gun violence that affects white people rather than regulating that's, gun violence that affects and that's that's a great segue into my next point i was going to say you know the reason why i mean obviously these mass shootings are making the news because it's multiple people shot in one area but you know you see some mass shootings where you know i was looking up the definition and there wasn't really a concrete one one said three one said one or more you know it's whatever the media defines it as but you're not seeing the kid who's a gang member at 14 years old and getting shot on the street in Philadelphia. You're not seeing him show up yeah. on the news. You're, you know, the tens of thousands of kids that are in gangs, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And I've had the privilege to actually meet um, a lot of my patients who previously in gangs and I'm in addiction medicine right now. So, you know, we help a lot of patients who are struggling with addiction. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of them have a lot of criminal records, um, Mm-hmm. A lot of Criminal them have records, been in gangs. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of them have been in gangs. A lot of them have been in prison, served prison time. Um, and you know, I actually I told Lana I did my own little study, and of the patients that I had that spent more than ten years in jail for committing murder with a gun, I asked them. I asked six of them. There were only six of them. Um, I asked them where they got their guns. Um, And I actually met, you know, one of my patients was still affiliated with a gang. And I asked him where him and then also like where your gang members get their um, get their guns. And six out of six of my patients said that it was all illegal on the street through a friend, a cousin, a family member. You know, he told me he would like scrape off the VIN numbers or the serial Mm -hmm. codes. So they can't track the guns um, and that's and then, so fucked it's so accessible it's, that's the problem and and then it it just speaks to again white people sure you want to be mad that biden is taking your guns gotcha sure but this just goes to show the racial disparities that are present even in legislation to do good because in everybody's up who are the people most up in arms about gun regulation? It's normally white people. Mm-hmm. And black people are, are not necessarily black people, but um, communities with large amounts of gang violence, they are going to be completely unaffected by all this legislation. There is no actual intervention that is being had to curb vi- gun violence in non-white communities that are using illegal exactly. weapons. Anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and... That's what I've been kind of seeing throughout the years, you know, in my experiences. Um, oh, wait, I have statistics. So um, Hit me. this is uh, gun violence in America, an analysis of 2018 CDC data. So this is male firearm ho- homicide rates by race and age. The largest group is 20 to 34 and 35 to 54 and it is incredible so the rate per 100,000 for white people it is like two percent um or like less than 10 percent rate for what what's the rate um homicide rates okay uh firearm homicide rates and then 
for bl- for black people. So we just said it's less than 10% for white, non-Latino. It is ages 20 to 34, 75, like 72, 73% of per 100,000 people. That is so many people. And then the next highest is American Indian, Alaska Native, and Hispanic or Latino. And white people are the least affected by firearm homicide. Exactly. And, and firearm homicide is a lot more present than mass shootings. Obviously, they're both important, but homicide right. is... Which is going back to, like, we, there's so many different angles that we can approach this at. And, yes, legality needs to be enforced. And there's, you know, laws that we can form to make weapons safer for all and reduce prevalence. But there's still a huge percentage of, like, illegal weapons that are just influxing into this country. And I it, it starts, you know, it honestly starts at, like, age 11. Like, this is, like, the children of America. Like, All my Mm -hmm. patients I talk to, you know, when was the first time that you did drugs? When was the first time you did this? Oh, I I shot up heroin with my mom at age 11. So, you know, he doesn't have any mom or dad. He does drugs. Of course, he's going to resort to violence and robbing people. And, you know, they also said they would would rob people. And that's how they would obtain weapons as well. Mm -hmm. So do you did you watch like the documentaries on Netflix about like um, the crack epidemic and I did. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah, I, um, I, was, I saw a lot yeah, of like, really opioid and. I mean, you have a lot of personal experience with yeah, this. Um, yeah. But for people like me, right, I. It's just like, I don't know the demographic of your town, like where you grew up, but we had so many fucking intervention programs, like DARE and all this stuff. And it's like the wealthiest communities get that shit. And yeah. even if you did have that, what is the likelihood? that somebody who needs to engage in illegal activities to survive and help their family and support their family, what is the likelihood that they're going to listen to that type of stuff? Like, they don't have a choice. Like, if you were put in that situation, like, so many people are just like, well, they shouldn't be doing that. Or, like, it's just like, if you were in their shoes, that is the most logical thing to do. It is the... And it's it's like people don't think about that because they're so distanced from that type of of life. And, you know, not to be like, oh, I, I live this life. You know, I grew up in Doylestown. I grew a very comfortable life in the suburbs where I didn't have to see that firsthand. But, you know, some of these guys, they have been on their own since age 13. They don't have any family members besides the people that they made in the gang. And what do you have to do? And then that becomes their family. Exactly. And what do you have to do to stay in the gang? You have to kill people. So product of your own environment. Yeah, it's it's such a product of your own environment. And, like, looking at these adults, you know, you can walk past the next junkie in Kensington, the next crack addict in Philly. But, like, I have such a different perspective now that I've sat down with these people. I've heard their stories. You know, they're children. They're basically children. These adults, I don't care if you're 48, you're sitting down, you know, in a rehab for the first time. You're a child because, uh, you know, I talked to one of the doctors I work with. And I told him, I look at my patients as children, and he's like, it's funny you say that because the minute you do, like, a hardcore drug like heroin, cocaine, anything like that, your brain development stops. Oh, for So sure. right. they're still stuck in that childlike mind where they don't know right from, you know, they obviously know yeah, right from like wrong. Yeah, just like people who experience trauma at a young age. Yeah. They're, um, like, especially if they start dissociating from that trauma, you know, they 
their brain, I mean, not even just their brain, but their emotional capacity can sometimes stay stuck in that age. And then they have, you know, anger issues and stuff because they never learn to regulate those emotions. Absolutely. And and those people are the same people with guns. Right. So right. it's just, it, it's frustrating because, you know, I initially was um, coming into this conversation thinking we we're going to talk about like the legality and Second Amendment and stuff. But I think this is a much more important conversation to be had because um, the sad reality of it is there are no former gang members in Congress. There are no former gang members as leaders. And people who overcome that are their perspectives are so valuable and yet we say oh because this person was involved in a gang at one point they're not credible or they aren't capable of being leaders because they had a history and it's a way to you know keep that in-group out-group vibe but imagine if there was representation of that community in power where people actually understood what it's like to live that life Right. And then you could say, somebody would say, wait, these laws would not impact my community at all. What are you going to do for us? But the only people who are asking those questions are not in government or have no opportunities to have their voice heard, except if you are working for a nonprofit or like you have exper- direct experience. And if you don't go out of your way to gain that experience, which a lot of people don't feel the need to do, then you just are completely blind to it. And it's Mm -hmm. really frustrating to know that that's not something being addressed. And it also makes me even feel like an imposter in a way to be advocating for a community I know nothing about. Right. It's, it's annoying because it's, it it seems like we're in a privileged position to be talking about this stuff. Right. But also there's nobody from those communities that has direct connection to advocacy platform yeah um and that's the main thing so i definitely think you know i i feel so beyond privileged to be able to sit down and talk to some of these people because you know regardless if they kill somebody they're a very interesting person um i mean yeah murder is never a a good thing but at the end of the day if you can sit down with somebody and understand their thought process while they were doing Mm -hmm. it that means that there was a bigger reason. It's not like, like you know, what you see in, in TV where it's like this person was just psychotic and went off on a limb and killed a bunch of people. They right. usually have logical reasoning as to why they do something. And if you can understand that logical reasoning, that means it's a product of a lot more than just that person. Of the environment. And I think that's where a lot of our talk about mental health, product of environment, we need to invest in our children, uh, especially mm-hmm. of our brown and black communities that's where it all ties in. Like, that's our issue. We're not, you know, like, like we said before, yeah, these laws will help to a certain extent, but they're not reaching the communities where the guns that they're using are not legal. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, so I was going to say, it's like, we are over, not over regulating, we're regulating a population of people who use guns for reasons that they're not addressing. So like, White people are usually mad because they're hunting and now they can't have an AR-15 or they just want to put their AR-15 in their living room on display to show all their cool friends that they have an AR-15, right? Like, the 50-year-old guys with beards are not shooting up schools. 
Most of the time, no. Students are usually shooting up schools. Yeah. That's an oversimplification. But the point is, they are, we are regulating them and they're getting mad because they're like, they are like, what the fuck? I didn't even do anything, right? So the majority of that group are not necessarily affecting the general population. But the general, the population that is being affected is being under-regulated. But also, it's not just something like we ban all weapons, right? Because then people will resort to other ways of oh, right. engaging and in gang violence. So it's, I, it's like the cause of the solution to gun violence. In white communities, it's mental health as advocacy in terms of like making sure we're understanding but in non-white communities mental health interventions are not going to help with gang violence right it it, it honestly goes down to yeah it's the structure it's the family and the pot land like the structural poverty that these families are placed into and like systematically brought up into in terms of like the so this is goes back to this everything's complex everything's interconnected so if we really wanted to stop gun violence from happening, then we would be focusing on the communities most affected by gun violence, which would be non-white communities. And what interventions could we posit might be helpful? I think it stems from, I think, you know, school-based programs. Places. Because after school, when your parents aren't around, even if their parents aren't around the majority of the time anyway... Um, mm-hmm. being in a school program with teachers in the community who care, with peers who are also engaged in after activities and not in gangs, then more exactly. uh, higher percentage of the, the, the young population are not engaged in gangs. Mm-hmm. And But what do you need to fund after school programming? Money. money. Yeah. And where do you get <laughs> money? Income taxes. And where are the incomes in these communities? Low. Yeah. <laughs> So, I know, it's a horrible system. They so got then going. it's like, okay, and then nobody wants to like, and that's what people like when people talk about like reparations, right? This is something that could be considered reparations in the sense that we fund communities after school programming or something like that from like this, the, the town and local governments aren't going to have the money to do that. It's, they have to get the money from somewhere else. And yeah. unless you have a vested interest in a nonprofit or an advocacy group in the community, that's where they get the majority of their help from. Then that's why these communities don't put any faith in the government. What have they done for them? Nothing. Right. Because mm-hmm. you have these people talking about issues similar to what we're doing that have no impact on them. <laughs> so, yeah. And, but they make the laws. We don't, we don't have any, you know, law. We don't have any power. We're just here to talk. But I mean, yeah. And the only thing we can do is try to elect leaders that can help and speak on these issues. But the majority mm-hmm. of the time, like I said, there isn't representation of these of what the actual interests of these communities are. Right. It's right. like and we could we could pause it and like we could have a white advocate uh, in office for that particular community. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Are there any former gang members in Congress? <laughs> uh, that's a hard no. I believe so. I found a really interesting article by it's a .gov website, so it's definitely reputable from the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Health of Health, or National Institutes of Health. It says, four assumptions frequently arise in the aftermath of mass shootings in the United States. One, mental health causes gun violence. Two, the psychiatric diagnosis can predict gun crime. Three, 
that shootings represent a deranged acts of mentally ill loners, and four, that gun control won't prevent another Newtown, Connecticut school mass shooting. Each of these statements is certainly true in particular instances, yet, as we show, notions of mental illnesses that emerge in relation to mass shootings frequently reflect a larger cultural stereotype and anxieties about matters such as race, ethnicity, social class, and politics. These issues become obscured when mass shootings come to stand in for all gun crime and when mentally ill ceases to be medical designation and becomes a sign of violent threat. So I think that brings up a good point that, yes, it is kind of resulting from mental health and the issues that we need to address first there. But also mm-hmm. there's ingrained facets or like pockets of like um, I don't know, like complex systems such as race, ethnicity, social class, politics. Like, I feel like that's like an implied given as well as mental health mental health and, which affects mass shootings exactly and everybody always wants to dismiss this isn't a race thing this isn't a money thing this is it all boils down to that right it all it's boils an umbrella right yeah for sure um but you know and with you know going trying to steer back to gun le- legislation a little bit um most of crimes are committed by handguns and there's not much regulation by handguns. Most of the regulation and the laws that you see are limiting magazine capacities, limiting assault-style weapons, and all of that. Um, so, you know, that's another aspect to look at it or a different point of view. Um, because, like, those assault weapons, like we were talking about, the semi-automatic um, rifles, those were only used in about 4% of gun murders in 2017, according to the Federal Bureau Investigation Analysis. FBI. FBI. <laughs> That's, but, uh, so, let's think about the Second Amendment. And white people. <laughs> because who's mad about the Second Amendment? White people. Or affluent black people. Let's not, like, because... Race isn't the only type of privilege, right? So. I mean, I, I think it's more of, like, like even if you want to do, like, a money thing, I feel like maybe it's not maybe a yeah, race Yeah, right. It's like so, a poverty level thing. And... It's, it's, a, it's a, yeah, so privilege is a trigger word for many white people. So let's avoid privilege, privilege and say affluence <laughs> or whatever. Affluence. Um, and affluence also, I, I, every time I say affluence, I just think of, like, um, people being, like, integrated into, like, the white Picket community, fence. like, status. Yeah. Picky cutter. Um, yeah. But, so the right to bear arms, uh, I just, like, okay, sure. That's how I feel about it. When people get, dare I say, up in arms. But that might just about... be because it personally doesn't affect you. So maybe you just have a very neutral, like, respect to it, or someone who really appreciates their ability to protect themselves and their loved ones from a threatening situation might appreciate that more. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I definitely think, like, I think, okay, yeah, right to be our arms, sure. Yeah, have your guns, right? I think, I just think there has got to be a better way to, to like, what has gun, do we know? if the efficacy of gun legislation has curved gun deaths at all? I mean, it's hard to also make that correlation, too. Like, you'd really have to sit down and, like... A lot of what I saw is, like, there's 
not a lot of research on how many murders were committed by guns and like which ones were legal and illegal or how that impacted. Like there's no research. This is an article from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Uh, it says the title is Changes in Firearm Mortality Following the Implementation of State Laws Regulating Access and Use of Firearms. This is published last year. Um, so the abstract says many U.S. states have tried to regulate firearm storage and use to reduce the 39,000 firearm-related deaths that occur each year. Looking at three classes of laws that regulate children's access to firearms, the carrying of a concealed firearm, and the use of a firearm in self-defense, we found that law, state laws restricting firearm storage and use are associated with a subsequent 11% decrease in the firearms-related death rate. In a hypothetical situation in which there are 39,000 firearm deaths nationally under the permissive combination of these three laws, we expect 4,475 more deaths nationally than under the restrictive combinations of these laws. That's it? That was my first, that was my first reaction is, if the point of these laws is to curb gun violence... And we've only seen an 11%, like a decrease, sure, is great. But that's what I'm saying. A lot of the gun violence is illegal gun violence. So us putting legal measures on... So the 11% decrease (laughs) is the people who were legally doing shit in the first place. And it's like, good to have those laws, but it's clear from that statistical evidence that there's still 89%. Remember we were talking about, like, how the media doesn't include certain attributes towards like mass shooters mm-hmm. aka we were saying how like they never say well sometimes they do but like i was i don't know i don't know which shooting it was because there's so many in 2020 but it's always like gunmen of this age but it never says their race and typically they happen to be white but like the media just sometimes doesn't say white shooter they'll just say a gunman and then you come to find out afterwards, oh, okay, it appears that they were white. Are you saying that they leave out the race of the shooter when he's white and then they bring in the race when he's black? Or, like, what What are you saying about that? I don't know why or what, but I just noticed that, like, they don't preface that they're white. Well, the default, that's because the default in America is people just assume you're white. And then if you don't say it, then you, like, the only time people usually specify race is when they're not white. Right in general like all the time right like if you yeah like at least if you're in a a white community or in which america let's say overall is a white community so i know in our town right if i said oh my friend you would picture a white person mm-hmm. it's like it's implied and otherwise you have to preface what they are but it's because of interesting... the whiteness of america in general yeah um going back to um you know you were talking about how legislation reduces gun deaths and stuff rhode island actually makes applicants um do if they want to have a concealed carry permit for a handgun they have to do a safety course and they actually have a seven day waiting period to obtain their license a lot of times i was actually looking for the mass shootings a lot of these people about like 40 percent of these people they only purchase the gun a few days before the mass shooting and that's their only purpose so that seven day waiting period in rhode island may you know that may be something see there's so much inconsistency with like gun control 
What'd you say? Across the country. Like, each state is just so different with what they require. Yeah. It's inconsistent. And that's that's another issue. I think, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Our southern states are just a different breed. So going across <laughs> the board with that may be difficult. But, you know, the north and south still have very different viewpoints on a lot of things other than just yeah. politics and legality issues. But So I just uh, was looking up, right, like, what i literally googled what to do to curb gun violence illegal gun violence and gang violence and the first article that i don't know if it's the first article but that came up um is from the rand corporation um objective analysis of gun policy in america and it says law enforcement approaches for reducing gun violence right because if it's illegal gun violence then the only way to kind of capture that right now is what we see (laughs) so police on the street being like that's a gun put it down and then taking it um and i'll just read the conclusions so although we have a general sense that law enforcement deserves some credit for the drop in the number of homicides committed with guns very little is known about the exact mechanisms through which standard law enforcement practices such as enforcement of gun ownership laws or investigations of violent crimes committed with guns might affect rates of criminal misuse of guns and violent crime committed with guns as a result we don't have strong evidence for the best approaches to improving case clearance um uh the national academy of sciences engineering and medicine evaluation was also quick to note that the research that does exist suffers from important limitations including that evidence does not typically derive from rigorous experimental designs or even quasi-experimental designs that might help distinguish the effects of policing intervention from local trends so what do we know about these policies that have been put in place? Are they actually effective? Is anybody tracking this stuff? Um, and obviously some statistics obviously are being tracked, but in terms of what they hypothesized the intervention would do and what that had, the intervention actually did, like, has anybody compared those? Yeah, those... <laughs> and seeing, like, if methods could help do those like precise scientific measures like those hardcore data numbers that we desperately want it's so difficult to get because like you said there's so many moving parts of this situation it's not just black Mm -hmm. and white ban all guns it's not just black and white Mm -hmm. everybody gets a gun you know so yeah oversimplification of these issues is usually i mean this has been the trend in every single episode really it's just bad to if i mean alex talked about the i mean so like let's let's do a little recap right cross-referencing um and uh when i had edward on to talk about cancel culture so what is the big thing about cancel culture is this oversimplification of a person's intention and whether or not they're a good or bad person based on a tweet based on an action and in the cases where that action is investigated and it's there's a trend there's a pattern they keep doing it they're bad people sure but that one isolated incident i don't think can really tell whether or not somebody should be canceled right depending on how bad it is so it's like that's an over example of an oversimplification then talking to alex we talked about complex systems and he brought up you know if you entirely identify with everything in the republican party and everything in the democratic party you're probably not thinking for yourself because at that point you're not actually identifying, like, thinking through each of the policies. You're just blindly following and oversimplifying the problems that and you face into being a Democratic or right. Republican solution. And that's why I love your guys' podcast, because 
it's not like you're just getting the conversation started you know like if mm -hmm. we don't talk about those things these people just think the way they think because they think that or because their dad thought that way or their mom thought that way mm -hmm. and and you don't know like these things aren't necessarily incorrect or correct but in order to make that judgment of whether or not it's right or wrong you need to have comparison exactly. with other topics exactly yeah, it just starts from like not being ignorant and just like educating you know, yourself. doing research yeah. and being educated yeah like even you know whatever happened on facebook i'm it's just funny because <laughs> it's like you know i don't i don't know it's like i didn't i'm not surprised at all because i don't everybody think has people do their research perspectives and you're challenging yeah. people to put some effort behind why you think this way like you mm -hmm. think this way but now you have to support it like you can't just blindly right. follow the leader exactly yeah in a normal everyday conversation i mean depending on who you're friends with and your personality type you're not necessarily going to delve into these topics right, right? so you have to unless be we're with each other <laughs> yeah that is we literally do this for <laughs> yeah we do and it's like i wish everybody did that after having this conversation and after doing more external research for this uh we want to know what is your general consensus after this whole discussion has it changed has you know has it modified at all have you just confirmed your um opinions before the episode what's your final thoughts um, so I definitely think some of my thoughts have changed just because I was forced to put like research into this to know what I'm mm -hmm. talking about, you know, because right. obviously I know the PA laws, but I don't know the statistics, you know, across the country and to look at that from a broad aspect definitely helped kind of hone in my opinion. Um, I don't think it's swayed too much. I think our main problem isn't with, I definitely think we can have improvement with legislation. I don't. I'm going to reiterate that um, we can improve legislation for law abiding citizens, but a lot of the issue stems in illegal, um, illegal weapons and illegal gun activity or, you know, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, which that kind of bases off putting money into our communities and investing into our poorer communities. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm kind of leaving off. I think there's so much room for improvement. We have a long way to go, but I don't think taking away everybody's guns is going to get us there. I agree. I think it's um, create, cultivating mass hysteria over, oh no, the government might take my guns is not necessarily productive right. Right. in terms of enacting real visible change i mean that statistic i think was the most telling that you know only i mean it curbed gun like legislation curbed gun related deaths by 11 percent when enacting legislation which obviously is a good thing but there's clearly a lot more we're missing something like yeah mm -hmm. something is just not there's something missing but... there's a little more to it runa um i would say that mental health is like a bigger issue because you know that's oftentimes what leads to mass shootings and i think it gets overshadowed with the whole concept of like gun versus no gun or like you know nra versus like anti-nra um i think there should be stricter gun control and stricter gun laws and legislation is a first step but i also think opening up conversations about men's mental health and like having resources and making sure that people are you know mentally okay to own a gun mm -hmm. And everything yeah, Casey said as well. <laughs> yeah, I think overall, um, what we all are talking about is, you know, moving away from the binary opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, right. guns, no guns. 
yes, mental health, no right. mental health. And instead, investigating the intricacies of the relationship between the right. two. And also right, having, there's a correlation. Yeah, and having, like, a dynamic opinion. Like, after you sit down and mm-hmm. talk to people with, you know, little different views than you, your opinion can sway. It's, it's a spectrum, yeah, not, you know, black or white, so. Normalize changing your opinion, especially yeah. if it's especially after, an opinion. Yeah. yeah. Evidence. We love a good evidence. As this is like, you're our first guest that I haven't actually met before. And so it was awesome to have a conversation that isn't, wasn't prefaced with any bias or I had no idea your opinions. And all I knew was that here's Ronick's friend who is pro gun, which again, is an oversimplification of your perspective. (laughs) And I think like having talked with you, it's really nice to know that there are people who, um, you know, are part, dare I say, part of the gun community or like, you know, engage with actual, you know, um, recreational gun use because I don't have anybody in my life who does mm-hmm. that and hear the thoughts that you have um, about how it's impacted communities because as somebody who uses guns, you have a little bit more of uh, knowledge on that front. So it was awesome to hear you kind of give your thoughts, especially as somebody in the medical field. That's super interesting to hear. I mean, I think it just speaks to the importance of engaging with um members of these uh communities Mm -hmm. but yeah like how personal experiences inform our opinions and we really have to seek out more information to to make the best choices and i think that you've done a great job at explaining your own opinions and i think listeners will enjoy this episode a lot yay Thanks for having Thank you. me. Thank you so much for coming. I had such a great time. Yeah. I was so honored when Ronak texted me. I was like, you want to hear from me? Thank you so much for coming. I had an amazing time. Bye, Keithy. See ya. If you like the Democracy Podcast, please be sure to check out patreon.com slash democracy, spelled A-W-K, democracy. We appreciate all of your support thus far, and we hope to keep creating amazing episodes for you all. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in the next one.